Well, good morning again. I'm so glad you're here, especially if you're our guest today. We're glad that you're here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Michael, and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Grace. And this morning, as you likely know, Christians around the world are celebrating Easter. It's often referred to as the Sunday of Sundays, because every other Sunday of the year, we gather to celebrate and worship God for what he accomplished on this Sunday. We celebrate and worship for what he accomplished this morning. And we're going to be looking this morning at the first ever Easter that was experienced approximately 2,000 years ago. We'll be looking at a historical eyewitness account of an event that took place in real time and in real space on this earth. In John 20, we have an account of a man named Jesus. And this man was violently put to death... And then three days later, he was physically, bodily raised from the dead. And as you might imagine, even though Jesus had been talking about his resurrection throughout his ministry, this is still the last thing anyone expected. Those that followed him for three years, even though he looked at them in the face time and time again and told them point blank, on the third day, I will rise. This is the last thing they expected. We get a chance to read about this unexpected resurrection and really the foundation upon which Christianity rests in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. You follow along as I read. It's printed for you in your bulletin. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, And went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but to my brothers, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Well, this is God's word for us given to us because he loves us and cares for us. Let me pray for us before we consider it together. Lord God, we are so thankful for this account in your word, a historical eyewitness account 
that points us to the reality and the truth of your resurrection. We pray this morning that as we look at it, that you would apply it to our hearts and lives, that we would be those that live as resurrected people following a resurrected king, given new hope and a new beginning because of what's taken place here in John chapter 20. We pray that you would apply these things even now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as some of you know, Christian missionaries are working, even today, in remote tribes throughout the world. And they're working to reach people for Jesus, and they're working to translate the Bible into their native languages, even today. I recently saw a video that shows the work of a missionary with a remote tribe in Papua New Guinea. And this particular tribe had not yet had God's word translated into their language, And so in order to bring God's word to this unreached people group, this missionary had to begin the long and difficult task of learning their language so that he might actually be able to translate the word of God for them in their native tongue. So he moved into the tribal community and he began living among them to learn their customs and their language. And as he was learning the language, which oftentimes takes many years to do, he was able to begin telling stories from the Bible aloud to the members of the tribe before he actually wrote the Bible down uh, with words and pen and paper. Since he was able to communicate, he decided to share the story of Scripture with the tribe through a daily story uh, telling time, in a sense. And remember, this is the first time that this tribe would have heard any of the Bible. It was completely brand new to them. They'd never experienced it before. So he began telling daily stories from the scriptures of the Old Testament. The tribe eagerly listened to his stories of God's historic acts of salvation found in the Old Testament. And then after he read the Old Testament, after he hit the highlights there, he moved on to the New Testament and he spent weeks recounting the life and the teachings of Jesus. And on the day that he reached the death of Jesus, the people listened in horror. They they cringed to hear of Jesus betrayed. They cringed to hear of Jesus beaten and bloodied and abandoned on the cross. They mourned for hours after that day's teaching, weighed down by sorrow and shock, hearing these events for the first time ever. Well, the next time they gathered in the video, the missionary began to speak of Jesus's resurrection to them for the first time as well. And in the video, he tells the story that we just read from John chapter 20. And you begin to see the faces of those in the tribe in Papua New Guinea there change. Just days before their faces were full of grief and shock as they heard about the crucifixion of Jesus. But upon hearing of the resurrection... In the first Easter, their faces changed to those full of hope and joy. After hearing of the resurrection of Jesus, the members of the tribe, who were normally a very laid-back bunch, begin to stand up. And in the video, you see them begin to dance for joy at the good news that Jesus is risen. And soon the whole tribe was dancing, and they hoisted the missionary up onto their shoulders into the air and carried him around singing and dancing. Look, for those of us who are Christians in the room, and I don't assume everybody here this morning is, for those of us that are, it's good to hear these kind of stories. To see the resurrection through fresh eyes, to see how it affects people who haven't grown cynical to it or accustomed to it. Today, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is a day of great joy. 
Oftentimes we overlook it. Oftentimes we forget about it. Today we celebrate the focal point of Christianity. We celebrate Jesus who experienced a violent death in a bodily resurrection three days later. The resurrection is what turned the scared, timid disciples into bold, fearless missionaries. As they took the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that Christianity is built upon. The thing that changes everything. It's the watershed moment in all of history. Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor in New York City says, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And then the apostle Paul, about 2,000 years earlier, expressed a similar sentiment in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, we're of all people to be most pitied. In other words, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we might as well pack it up. I mean, what are we doing? Let's stop wasting our time in a sense if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But if Jesus has been raised, if it is true, then everything's changed. It's through the resurrection of Jesus that his entire life and teaching is validated. It's guaranteed. It's through the resurrection, through the fact that Christ rose from the grave, that what he teaches is true. That's what we believe, that that he's Savior, that he's King if he rose from the grave. And this morning, as we look at John chapter 20, we get to walk through the Easter morning with his first followers. And as we do this, we can see ourselves in them in many ways. As as we look at this passage, I want us to see that Easter begins with disorientation for these followers. But this disorientation gives way to reorientation as they realize slowly but surely what has happened. And then from this reorientation, they're given a new beginning, a brand new beginning because of the resurrection of Christ. But first, let's see the disorientation that these first followers experienced. So in this passage, we've got four people involved in the action. We've got Mary Magdalene. We've got Peter. We've got the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is actually the author of the book, John himself. He just doesn't mention himself by name. And we've got Jesus. And it's important to remember that about 36 hours before this story, Mary and John were at the foot of the cross watching as Jesus was being crucified. And we're not quite sure at this point in the story where Peter was during the crucifixion of Jesus, but we can be sure that he was experiencing a pretty emotionally low point in his life. Because remember, that night, 36 hours before what we're reading in John uh, chapter 20, we see Jesus, or we see Peter deny Jesus deny that he even knows him three times. And it's helpful for us for a second to put ourselves in the shoes of these disciples. Can you imagine what they must have been experiencing and thinking? I mean, they had spent the previous three years following this man who they believed to be the Messiah. They left family, they left friends, they left vocations, they left homes in order to devote their entire lives to Jesus. They experienced his healing touch, 
They listened to his inspired messages, his inspired teaching. They witnessed his miracles firsthand. They had great expectations as they followed Jesus for what was about to happen. Expectations that included power and prestige and honor. They had expectations of a new government being established by Christ. But instead, their time with Jesus is tragically ended by a crucifixion. And as we read this passage, we've got to remember that all of their hopes and dreams had recently come to an abrupt end. That Jesus being crucified and buried was not the way things were supposed to work in their minds. These disciples were full of sorrow and confusion and disappointment. The evil and sin that had characterized the past few days of these disciples' life had completely disoriented them. If you think about it, the crucifixion of Jesus is the climax of man's hard-heartedness and the evil of this world. And these disciples had just experienced it firsthand. And whenever sin enters the picture, especially to this degree, it disorients people. It's what sin brings. It brings disorientation. And we can resonate with these disciples' disorientation this morning. It's a word that describes our lives oftentimes, if we're honest. We look at the evil and the sin that surrounds us in this world. We look at the evil and the sin that's in in each of us, in our hearts, the brokenness that we experience internally. And this evil and this sin and brokenness, it brings disorientation. It brings sadness and confusion and disappointment. We look at our lives and the way things have worked out like the disciples, and we think, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. This is not how I planned things to work out. This is not what I had in mind. Maybe it's a devastating diagnosis. Maybe it's marriage issues that have been going on for years. Maybe it's the touch-and-go job situation that you're experiencing right now. Maybe it's the debilitating depression that you can't seem to shake. You experience sin and the effects on your life, and you think this is not the way it was supposed to work. And you're disoriented, sad, confused, and disappointed. And when we're disoriented like these disciples, we forget God's promises. Did you notice that in the passage? Never does it cross anyone's mind that Jesus may have been raised from the dead. In fact, Mary almost refuses to even consider it. She considers grave robbery over resurrection even after seeing the angels. She still thinks somebody has taken Jesus' body. And this is especially surprising when you remember, like I mentioned earlier, that Jesus promised his resurrection numerous times over the past three years. And the last thing they expected, the last thing they considered was exactly what God had promised them and asked them to expect. And we do this same thing when it comes to God's promises in our lives as well. God has told you and me that as we believe in him, that he'll work all things out for our good. It's not just a trite Bible verse. It's a promise straight from God's mouth. But that's often the last thing we expect to find in our lives, isn't it? God's love in a difficult diagnosis. God's mercy in the middle of a relational difficulty. God's faithfulness in tight financial times. God's goodness are often the last things we consider, the last things we expect. And it's exactly what God has promised us and asked us to expect. Like these disciples on the first Easter morning, we often live in the haze of disorientation because of sin and evil in this world. It's easy to be disoriented. 
to God's promises, to God's work, to our purpose. But we see in our passage that the resurrection cuts through the haze and reorients us back to God's goodness and love. Look, if it weren't for the resurrection, then sin and death would have the upper hand in this world. If it weren't for the resurrection, then Mary would have been right to keep weeping there that morning. If it weren't for the resurrection, then Peter and John would have been left in confusion and despair with nowhere left to go. But the resurrection comes and it reorients us. We see the disciples slowly reoriented in this passage. Their reorientation begins on the morning of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which is why we as the church worship on Sunday now. Mary and a group of other women head to the tomb of Jesus before the sun rises to finish the burial preparations. They hadn't yet embalmed Jesus the way that they had wanted to. And so they go to the tomb and Mary arrives at the tomb and notices that the stone had been removed. And in fear and confusion, she just turns and she runs to inform the leader of the disciples. She goes to Peter and to John. Mary's convinced that grave robbers had come in the middle of the night and stolen the body of Jesus. And Peter and John, they receive this news from Mary and they rush to the tomb. They run and they examine what they find. And on coming to the tomb, they find that the grave clothes are neatly lying inside. Further proof that this wasn't a robbery because robbers would not have unwrapped the body in the tomb and left the clothes neatly placed there. In verse 8, we see the slow process of reorientation begin for these disciples. It says, then the other disciple, the one who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in and he saw everything there in the tomb and he believed. The empty tomb, the neatly folded clothes begin to reorient these disciples back to God's goodness and his love. They begin to believe that the impossible had actually happened. But it takes a bit more for Mary's reorientation to begin. After Peter and John leave, Mary is left there all alone at the tomb weeping. And she stoops down and enters the tomb. And as she enters the tomb, she witnesses two angels there inside sitting where Jesus' body was. One at the head and one at the feet. And they gently ask, why is she weeping? And Mary continues to insist that someone's stolen the body of Jesus. And after this, she turns and walks out of the tomb and she bumps into the resurrected Lord himself. And though she doesn't recognize who he is, Jesus looks at her and asks her a second time, Mary, why are you weeping? Because those who know what had happened, the angels and Jesus himself, wonder why she's still sad. But we've got to remember that resurrection was the last thing on Mary's mind. It wasn't even an option. She couldn't see it there in the midst of her tears. And we can understand where Mary is this morning. We can resonate with her. Because sometimes it's hard for us to see the resurrection as well. It's hard for us to see it through the tears in our lives and through the tears of this world. The tears sometimes keep us from seeing Jesus and the hope that he wants to bring. This world that's characterized by sin and brokenness can often keep us from experiencing resurrection hope. We don't see Jesus through our sadness. All we can see are our failures. All we can see is the marriage stress. All we can see is the job insecurity. All we can see is the depressing loneliness that we experience. It's all we can see just like Mary. But in the midst of her sadness and inability to see resurrection hope, she hears her name, Mary. 
And the sheep recognizes the voice of her shepherd. Her eyes are open. She sees resurrection for the first time. And her sadness is transformed by this magnificent hope. Resurrection comes and it reorients these disciples' lives. Resurrection takes them from weeping to joy. From disappointment to delight. From confusion to confidence. They're being reoriented to the new reality of resurrection. Because of the resurrection, their lives would be turned upside down. Nothing would ever be the same again for them. Look, there are some events in our lives that change our world forever. I've heard many say that they can remember where they were when JFK was assassinated. Uh, The world's different because of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Events like Pearl Harbor and D-Day are a part of our historical identity. There are some events in our lives that have a huge effect on us as a people. If you're older than 25 in the room this morning, then you know what it's like to be reoriented to a new way of life. Because on September 11th, 2001, things changed forever. But before those attacks, you used to be able to go through the airport with ease. No longer. Used to be able to travel to a lot of parts of the world with no fear. No longer possible. You used to feel relatively safe in large public spaces. Not anymore. Nothing is ever going to be the same again. We can't return to a pre-9-11 world. We've been forced to learn a new way of life in a sense. And in much the same way, that's what the resurrection of Christ does for you and me. It forces us to learn a new way of life. The resurrection is a watershed moment. The resurrection reminds us that God's promises are all true. The resurrection reminds us that sin and evil and death will not have the last word in this world and in our lives. It takes us from disorientation that sin brings and it begins to reorient our hearts. God's in control. Jesus is king. We live in a post-resurrection world and we can't go back to a pre-resurrection reality. Things will never be the same. The resurrection means is meant to reorient us with hope and life. And as the resurrection reorients us, it also gives us a new beginning. It gives us a new beginning. Mary and the disciples are given a new beginning in verse 17. It says, Jesus speaks and says to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Look, in these words, we see the forgiveness that the resurrection brings to our lives. Jesus calls his disciples, the ones who have just denied him, who betrayed him, who've turned their backs on him. He calls them my brothers in this verse. I mean, think of Peter for a minute. The one who had denied knowing Jesus three times just 48 hours earlier, hearing the one he denied coming and calling him brother. Think of you and me. The ones who deny Jesus all the time with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions being welcomed in as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of this resurrected Lord that brings new life and new hope. Jesus comes and he cuts through our disorientation and he gives us a new start by offering us forgiveness, calling us brothers and sisters. As we also see the idea of adoption highlighted in these verses too. Jesus wants the disciples to know that not only are they forgiven, but that he's headed back to their father and their God. They share the same father is what he's saying. 
Because of Christ's work on the cross, because of the forgiveness that he brings, we can be called sons and daughters of God. This is the new beginning that resurrection brings to you and me. Forgiveness and adoption. Complete forgiveness of your sin and adoption into a new family. As a brother and sister of the resurrected Lord, as a father of the king of the universe... In the resurrection, God meets us in our disorientation. He reorients us to his love and goodness, and he gives us a new start, a brand new beginning. In the resurrection, we see that God is going to have the last word. We see that he is capable of making all things new, of righting all wrongs, of bringing joy out of sadness. I wonder how many of you have read the Lord of the Rings series Towards the end of that series and the movies, there's a beautiful account of Sam and Frodo, who are two of the main characters in the movie. They're hobbits, and they had just been on a perilous journey to destroy the evil ring in the, uh, on Mount Doom, in the cracks of Mount Doom, and they had risked their lives to do so. And they lost lots of different friends along the way uh, on this journey of theirs. And after finally making it to Mount Doom, they destroy the ring. And in the book, in the process, they're knocked unconscious. And in a sense, the reader is left wondering what happens for a little while. Things kind of fade to black in the book. And the story picks back up at the very end of the series in a peaceful land where Sam wakes up from a restful nap and he's next to his friend Frodo. And as Sam wakes up, he sees Gandalf standing over him. And Gandalf was the great wizard who Sam thought had died on the journey. And upon finding that his friend Gandalf wasn't dead, that he wasn't dead, that he was right next to Frodo, that he wasn't dead as he thought but alive, Sam cries out with these words, I thought you were dead, Gandalf, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What a beautiful question. I love that question. Well worded. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Yes, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're reminded of God's goodness and love. We're reminded that God has not given up on this world. We're reminded that sin and death will not have the last word. We're reminded that you were given a new beginning. Because of the resurrection, we know and believe that everything sad will one day fully and finally come untrue. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the way that you came and you lived and you died on our behalf. But that wasn't the end, Lord. You also raised again from the dead. You rose again from the dead in order to seal our salvation, in order to bring us back to yourself, to offer forgiveness, to make us your children. We pray this morning as we celebrate the resurrection that you would encourage our hearts, that we would know your hope. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.